Hey everyone, welcome to Huron Chapel. We're so glad you could join us for today's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at HuronChapel.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's podcast. Well, it, um, it happened to me. I knew it would one day. And last Saturday, November 18th, 2017, approximately 6.30 in the morning, in South Yarmouth, Massachusetts, it became official. I'm old. And I, you know, I, when people in conversation will, will say to me, Mark, you know, when I was young or now that I'm old, and I often ask them, when, when did you know that moment happened? When did you get old? And they never have an answer, but I have an answer. It was, uh, it was early morning, and, and Glenn and I were in Cape Cod on holidays, and every morning I like to start off by dropping by the Dunkin' Donuts, the Tim Hortons of the United States, to get my coffee before going to the water and just spending some time with the Lord. And I got my coffee, and this young teenage girl looked across the counter and said, I'll give you the senior discount for that. I said, like, how old did you have to be to be a senior discount? Like, I'm way under the line on this one. 55. I said, I'm 55. I got my first senior's discount. <laughs> it was not worth the 17 cents that I saved on that coffee. No. I was reminded after that day that it, wasn't, it was about 50 years ago before that. Not too far away in a, in a town called Hingham, Massachusetts, where I was living, that I realized for probably the first time in my life that I was young and dependent upon my parents. It happened while we were grocery shopping. My mom and I were grocery shopping, and as a young boy, you always stay close to your mom. But that day, I think I saw some cereal or Pop-Tarts down the aisle, and I began to walk, kind of keeping one eye on her and one on the prize. And I eventually got to that cereal box or that Pop-Tart and turned around, and I couldn't find my mom anymore. And you remember what that's like. You have this sense of panic and fear, and you're lost. And the thing is, the lostness I felt was not a geography problem. I knew the grocery store. The store was very familiar with me. I knew the neighborhood. In fact, my home was only about a kilometer away. If someone asked me to give them directions or to lead me back home, I could take them to my house. That wasn't the problem. The lostness and emptiness I felt, the, the, what caused me panic, wasn't a geography problem. It was a relationship problem. I knew at, where I was but I didn't know where my mom was. She was gone, and when I discovered she was gone, the sense of security that, that I had left with her. I knew where I was. I knew how to get back home. That did not matter. What mattered was right now is my relationship with my mom. Where is she? I didn't have it. And there will be some of us here today, no doubt, who are lost, but it isn't a geography problem. You know where you are, geographically speaking. You're in Auburn again. You're out here in Chapel again. You've been here maybe a few times or many times. You've, this place is familiar to you. 
And even though you know where you are geographically, you are lost because you don't know where you are in relation with your Heavenly Father. And you have, you would say, if you were to share, you would talk about there's an emptiness that you feel in your life. You feel like there's more and something is missing. And you maybe don't even have the assurance of, of eternity in heaven with God. You're familiar with this world. You know this place. But you're lost. And it's not a geography problem. It's a relational problem. And just like the panic I felt in the grocery store and my mom was suddenly gone, you have those moments of panic as well. Because you're really not sure where you are with the Heavenly Father. And we, we refer to the Bible as a love story because really that's what it is. It's God revealing to us how much He cares and loves us. And sometimes we have a hard time believing it. We, he wants a relationship with you. And we wonder why and... and um, and yet he does. And if you're here today and you're lost, it's not by accident because God has been talking to you, right? And, and God has been um, extending you an invitation. He's been calling you. And just like when I found my mom in that grocery store, I had this, this, this sudden peace. You can have that peace when you say, God... I want to answer that call. I want to be with you in relationship. See, the truth is my mom did not abandon me that day. I had wandered away. In the same way, God will not abandon you. He's not the one that moves away. We do. And God, he says in many places, this is just one in Deuteronomy. He says, do not be afraid, which he says more than any right other phrase in the Bible. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you He'll be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. He will never move away from you. He will not make those steps. He will not initiate that. If you're lost, it's because you've moved away. Start walking down the aisle towards something and away from him. We're finishing our series of response today in 1 Samuel chapter 7. I'm just looking at a few verses because really... When I looked at this, it just Samuel preaches a gospel message in the Old Testament. I was fascinated with this. We know from this, what we've seen so far that the relationship between God and Israel was difficult. There were some serious problems, and the people felt God had abandoned them. Remember, we talked about how they would go into war against their enemy, and they lost, and people died, and they said, well, where was God in this? Like, why wasn't he there? So... They, the second time, they said, well, we'll get this Ark of the Covenant, symbol of God's presence, and we'll take that, that Ark with us, and they'll kind of like force God's hand, and he'll be there, and we'll win. But they didn't. They lost again. And they're dumbfounded. Why? Where is God? What has happened? So in First Samuel chapter 7, let's start with verses 1 and 2. We're just going to read a few verses today. But it begins this way. So the men of Kirath and Jerim came to get the Ark of the Lord. So this is when the Ark was returned. The Philistines didn't want any more. Pastor Ernest talked last Sunday about you know, the problems that the Philistines had, how they felt the heavy, you know, the glory. Remember, that's the same word, heavy hand of God upon them. And they gave it back to Israel, or at least God took it, let it back. So it's back in Israel. So they took, you know, they took uh, the, the Ark to the hillside home 
of Abinadab and ordained Eleazar, his son, to be in charge of it. So the ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. And during that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed that the Lord had abandoned them. That's how they felt. But it wasn't a geography problem. It was a relational problem. 20 years have passed since they went into the battles and they lost. 20 years have passed since God talked to Samuel, called him. 20 years have passed since Eli and and his two sons, the priests, had died. And for the past 20 years, Israelite has attempted to put the ark, the symbol of God's presence, out of sight by putting it up in the hill country, by kind of thinking if it's out of sight, it'll be out of mind. And Samuel comes and he starts to speak to a people who are in mourning in verses 3 and 4. And he preaches a gospel message. He says this, Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, If you want to return, that's key. If you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Astareth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines, from the enemy. And up to that point, I want to stop there because Samuel is is giving a gospel message saying if you truly want to fix this relationship, you've got to do it with all your heart and you've got to rid of, we're going to talk about getting rid of some of the pagan things in our life that are not of God and obey him alone, serve him alone. And now it's up to Israel to respond. How will they respond? And I love the first word in verse 4. It says, so, so we're going to find out what's, what's the answer. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Astareth, the pagan gods, and worshipped only the Lord. So they, they did. They repented. And that's what we're talking about today in this closing theme, the theme in this closing the series of repentance. Um, the last time we heard from Samuel was 20 years ago. He was just a boy. God had called him three times, remember, in the night and gave him a message to give to Eli saying, These are what, this is what's going to happen in the future. It's not going to be good. 20 years later, Samuel now comes to the people and says, if you want to come back, if you want to restore this relationship, you've got to repent. And they're ready to repent. Because they're mourning and weeping over what they've lost relationally with God. But this is a very key point, and it's in your sermon notes. Repentance is not just weeping, feeling regret, or confessing sin. Because sometimes we feel, well, I I feel bad, I'm crying, I'm confessing. But repentance is more than that. We're going to see that today. Uh, I think I'll look at uh, Monica Johnson, that quote. It says, regret is not a proactive feeling. It is situated in disappointment, sorrow, and remorse. And we feel those things when we sin. It merely wishes things were different without an act. To cause a difference. That's the difference. However, repentance is different. Repentance is an admission of, hatred of, and turning away of sin before God. That's the difference. I don't just feel bad about it, I'm sad about it, I'm confessing it. I'm turning away from that sin before God. It's a move, it's an action, it's a decision. The Bible uses the word repentance, actually means to change one's mind. And this is the first point of Samuel's gospel. So he says, what is repentance? The very first thing we read, it is returning to the Lord with all your heart, he says. And you know, we can simplify our life down this way, if we just want to make it 
just cut and dry. Either you're walking with God or you're walking away from God. Either you're working with God or you're working against Him. Either you're continually to give Him glory or you're trying to seek and pull the glory away from Him to you or someone else. And Jesus makes that clear because He says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. And then He says this, this, common, this common, these common words, no one can serve two masters for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And the thing is, as hard as we look to try to find that neutral ground, that place where we can stand, where we think we can feel, okay, we're not maybe for God, but we're not uh, against Him. We're just kind of standing here trying to think this through. That doesn't exist. There's no middle ground. There's no fence we can sit on. Either we are making a decision for Him or against Him. We can't just sit there and think, well, one day I will. No, you are now. Charles Spurgeon, that old time, love that pastor, said this, If Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. That's what he's saying. It's cut and dry. It's not, there's no middle ground. He goes on to say, you will never go in, He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. Repentance, Samuel said, is all, is all about turning back to God with all of your heart. That means that my, my heart, we know what that means. That means the, the motivation, the desire, the passion. I take those things and I point it towards God. So I make a decision. I change the direction of my life. I change my mind. I repent and I begin walking with Jesus with him towards eternity in heaven instead of walking away from him towards an eternity of regret. And the problem we have, I think, with repentance is that it's become a bad word in our culture. Because when we hear the word repentance, our minds will go to uh, maybe those street preachers we have seen or come across or maybe those signs that say repent and, you know, and, and they're not, they don't sound like messages of love they sound like they're screaming at us or throwing a weapon at us or or making repentance like a brick and trying to hurt us with it and we don't sense the message of love um, from those messages but really god's call of repentance is a call of love it's our heavenly father who loves us more than we could imagine saying to us the road you're walking on is leading to destruction and i love you so much that i'm calling out to you and pleading with you to turn back to me and away from that and to the road that leads to life. So when you hear the word repent, think of someone, think of a person you love or people you love that are close to you. And have those people in your mind. And imagine you're walking, you seeing those who you love walking along. And unknowingly, they don't see it, but there's a cliff in front of them, a drop-off, and they will fall to their death. And so what do you do? You call out to them. Stop! Turn around! Go the other way! Trust me! Believe me! Where you're going is not good! Do you believe me? Do you trust me? Enough to stop! And you call out of a motivation of love. Even if we don't know these people, I think we would do that, wouldn't we? We have that much love for people.
Repentance is a great word because, you know, it's an opportunity God gives us to respond to His love and His direction. And when we feel the emptiness and the lack of purpose and we wonder why, and we just keep walking thinking, I got this figured out, but I don't like where I'm going, and we suddenly we hear God saying, look, at stop for a moment. Would you trust and believe me that I have something better for you where I'm taking you instead of where you're going? God's call of repentance is a call that comes from a Heavenly Father who does not want you to be lost relationally. When John the Baptist announced the ushering in of Jesus' ministry, his message was simple. It was this, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It it was an action. Repent, turn back. When Jesus came into his ministry, the very first words he said were, the time, promise, the, this, the time promised by God has come at last. And he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So he knows if your life is going to change, there has to become a time where you go, I am going to make a decision. I'm going to make a decision to change in my mind and my direction to go where God is calling me and not where I'm walking. Repentance. It's a necessary part of returning to God, and it's more than regret. You may regret what you've done, but regret does not restore our relationship with God. You may know that you have sinned, and you feel bad, and you might even confess it, but regretting and confessing what you've done does not restore your relationship with God. Something else is required, and Jesus and John the Baptist and Samuel saying, if you want to restore this relationship, you must repent, you must return, you must change the direction you're living in. Would you first make that decision? Would you be willing to do that? In your life. Because repenting is returning to the Lord with all your heart. And that word all is so key and so important. If you're wanting to repent to God, it can't be just a partial turning. It's not just a partial move. You must, you need to return to Him with all. Not with some. Lord, I'm going to give you this much, but I'm holding on to this much. You can't walk two directions at the same time. Either it's all or nothing. I want to show you a video. I showed it a few years ago, but in this short video, you're going to get the message of sometimes what we are settling for, what we think is where we want to be, and where God says, no, I have something better for you. So watch this message and see if you get it. When we went to the beach, it was the first time for my youngest daughter. I had told her about the ocean, but when we got to the hotel where we were staying, she saw they had a swimming pool. It was kind of a small, nothing special kind of pool, but when she saw it, she became so excited, she forgot all about the ocean. She just wanted to go swimming, and I took her to the pool. After a while, I asked her if she wanted to go for a walk and to see the ocean. She had no interest in it. She was so caught up in the swimming pool, she didn't even want to stop and consider what the ocean might be like. Eventually, I dragged her kicking and screaming across the street to the ocean. And the rest of the week, we never went back to the pool. Could it be that God offers us the ocean? 
but we've become so satisfied with our little swimming pool, getting a faster car, more square feet in the house, bigger TV, hipper clothes, new CDs, DVDs, the latest version of Madden football. And God just says, if you get out of the pool and come over here, I've got something that would blow your mind. You have no idea. So I think you got the message from that. And I know in your life, and this would happen, it's happened to all of us, that there's a pool. And maybe you're in that pool right now, and you're thinking, this is as good as it gets. I'm going to stay here. I'm familiar with this place. But God's calling you to something else. And he wants to restore this, this relationship he has with you. and say, will you trust me? I have this ocean. I want your experience. But you're stubborn and you're stuck in that pool. I accidentally edited this out of my message, but I, in your sermon notes, there's this quote from C.S. Lewis that says the same, along the same lines. He says, talking about you and I, we are half-hearted creatures like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. When you return to the Lord, you are saying, I trust you to have control in my life. I trust you that what you have better that what you have for me is better than a pool at a cheap motel that I'm stubbornly stuck at, or better than the, the mud pies that I'm making here in the slum, that you are calling me and wanting me and wanting to restore me to something much more refreshing. The second part of Samuel's gospel to the Israelites and to us today is this. Then once you are willing to return, you must put away the pagan gods. A pagan life is anything... God, that we make God in our life, but the God who created us, the God of the Bible, the God of the universe. It's when God is not all, when he's not everything in your life. He may be something in your life, but he's not everything. The Israelites at this time, God was something in their life. God was something because they mourned his losses. They, they tried to take him into battle. They, they you know, at least kept the, the Ark of the Covenant up in the hills. He was something, but he was not everything. And the same way, we try to make God something in our life. And you're here today because God is something, but He's saying, no, I want to be everything in your life. In the book of Romans, or the, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul addresses the lives of pagans. And it's very bold, it's very strong, it's very in your uh, face, but it's very true. And I can tell you that the people in Rome in that day, I can tell you that people today would probably not respond um, so well to it because it talks about how far their life is from where God would have them to be. It talks about them making mud pies and pools and cheap motels instead of where God would have them to be. And the Bible says that, you know, there's times, there's a path before each person that seems right. This seems right to me, but it ends in death. And God's trying to call you before that to repent and change direction. So Paul, he's bold. This is what he says. Claiming to the pagans, he says, claiming to be wise, they instead become utter fools. That's hard to take. 
Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, this is the result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead of indulge in sex with one another. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of the sin, they suffered. As a result of the sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. And that could be of any sin. But Paul's calling something out that was prevalent and a problem. Because these people were walking down the grocery aisle away from God to something that looked good, that they thought made sense, seemed right, but was going to lead them to death. And as soon as you hear that, what the Bible says, you realize it doesn't match up well with what society says is permissible today. The people Paul described in his days were worldly, they're materialistic, they worship created things instead of the Creator. They worship trees. They worship animals. They worship reptiles. They worship. They, they, they would abuse their bodies. They would have irregular sexual practices. They did all these things. And Paul says they did it because of this. Next slide. Since they thought it, it foolish to acknowledge God. They did that because that was foolish. I'm not going to acknowledge God in my life. I'm not going to acknowledge His authority. I'm not going to acknowledge that He is the one that works, that He's created He's the creator. And that decision they made, and we read the consequences of their decision. Next slide says this. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to the foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. And over the past 20 years in our text, the Israelites have taken on the pagan practices of the Canaanite lifestyle. And it was much worse than this. And they're going to, and Solomon or Samuel says, if you're going to experience that, that, that relationship with God, that peace with God, you must return to Him. And secondly, you must get rid of these practices. And then the third point, he says this once you do that, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only. So turn back to God with all your heart, get rid of anything that's ungodly in your life. And then make the decision to, to uh, serve him only. And I'm told the word here uh, in the Old Testament the meaning, has the same meaning as worship. Serve and worship are intermingled, inter, uh, intertwined. And it makes sense because when you worship the Lord, you are serving him. When we're, we're worshiping the Lord in music, we're blessing him. We're directing it to him. It's not for us. It's us doing it for him. So we're serving him. And when we serve the Lord, we are, in a sense, worshiping him. Because, God, we want to do this to bring honor to you, to point glory to you, to point all these things to you. So we're serving you, to worship, and we're worshiping you. It means that Jesus is our Lord. He's the object of our affection. He's the center of our worship. He's the one we're serving. Now, here's the thing. We will talk about Jesus as our Savior. Uh, he is the one that saves us from eternal consequences of our sin. And we celebrate that. We must. We should. 
But we need to remember that in becoming a Christian, Jesus is not just our Savior, He is our Lord. And I feel, and I'm being frank, that that's where we drop the ball so many times. We'll say, yes, Jesus is my Savior, but live a life that where He is not Lord. And really, this goes back to that component that we've been looking at throughout this series when Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if any of you wants to be my follower, this is what you've got to do. You must give up your own way. We go, oh. Oh, that hurts. And take up your cross daily and follow me. You must be willing to surrender your own way, your mud pies, your pool, and start following him. And I really believe this. I think that's where a lot of us are, will struggle. I like the Savior part. It's living, is this Lord of my life that I struggle with? And you notice Jesus doesn't say this is a, a suggestion you might want to think about. Think about that, will you? About me being Lord of your life? He goes, You, you must. You must. And that's where Israel is struggling. They, 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 and they come, you know, they, they're like us. They, they will come to church because God is something, but God wants to be everything. God is something, but He's not everything. And Samuel goes, no, 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 no. You must return to Him with all your heart, get rid of all the sin, and, and serve Him only. We come to church because He is a Savior in our life, but He's saying, no, I want to be Lord of your life as well. And we struggle with that. And I wonder how much time, and perhaps we struggle, I wonder how much time we sincerely seek seeking out what Lord of His life means in our, in, in our life. How much time do we really say, God, what, what does it mean? Like, I want to read your word. I want to hear from you. I want to know you because I know you're going to talk to me about my life and what it means to, for you to be Lord. I, don't, I just don't want to sit at my breakfast table and read a verse and go, okay, I did my devotions for today. It's got to be more than that. And I have a theory. And you don't have to agree with it because I'm telling you it's just my theory. But if you're not changing your mind... You're probably not listening to God. Because God will come to you and say, okay, here's where we are. Here's the word. Here's what I want to speak to you in your life right now. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've, been, you've been faithful, you've come along, but now we're talking about this. And I want you to change this part. I want you to redirect your life in this part. Because he says in Isaiah that my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And when that's true, when that becomes true, uh, if you go to the next slide, my thoughts are higher, nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. If that's true, then, then can you understand that the God probably, there's a lot of things that, that we aren't doing or knowing that God's going to talk to us about. And we have to come to Him and say, surrender and say, God, here I am. I'm listening. I'm humble before you. I need to hear from you. I need to believe, you know, not that, that, that what I'm doing is, is always right. 
but willing to have you speak into my life and say and hear that you love me so much that you're saying stop, turn here and go in another direction because what you're doing is leading to destruction so the Christian faith doesn't end with I'm saved, hallelujah the journey continues with Jesus is my Lord of my life, hallelujah so in response, what we do is Hebrews 12, 1, 2. We know this verse. It says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. That's what Jesus is going to point out to you. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with the endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. How do we do it? Keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So that tells me God is going to be active in your faith. He's going to initiate things. He's going to perfect your faith. Are we listening? Are we coming to Him humbly saying, Jesus, where would, what would you want to tell me? What do you want to say to me? Am I, is my heart soft and willing to listen to you? I don't know about you, but I have foods that um, I have a difficult time settling for just a, a little bit. And Doritos are one of those things. Do you ever love Doritos here? Doritos? Brenda, you love Doritos? I, um, Doritos are one of those things that I can't just take one. I tell myself I'm going to buy this bag. And I know lunch is in a little while. But I'm hungry right now. And I can just stop and I can just have one chip. I can do this. Mm. But boy, that's good. Okay, two chips. Mmm. I love Doritos. Three is okay. I have three chips. And what happens after I drink some water, I finish the whole bag. And then Glenda goes, Lunch! And I feel horrible. I don't feel good after eating a whole bag of Doritos. And I have regret. And repentance would tell me you can't stop at one. That you must um, know yourself well enough that you will not just take one step, you'll take two. So I'm going to give this to you, Brenda. You, you have to deal with it now. And all the people around you, because you said you liked it. And tell me if that's not like sin in our life. We think, I can take that one step, and I'm going to be okay. I see the fire. I know what it means to be burned. But I can stand up against this, and then we take another step. Take another step. And before you know it, we're in regret. And we're weeping. And we're confessing. And all the while, God says, listen. This is what it means. Second Timothy chapter 2. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. These are the things that we should be, we should be um, pursuing. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start with fights.
And so if you would come before God, and I know this because we all know this so well, so I'm not going to pretend. And you know what that first step is away from Him, down the aisle. And you kind of say, well, I'm not, you know, I, I still see God. and You know, yeah, I, He is something in my life. And if I really think this mud pie, I really think this thing, I can get closer because I really like it. And I won't get burned. Ouch! Do you recognize what the first Dorito is for you? Don't watch that movie. Don't answer that Facebook message or email. Don't gamble those few dollars. Don't take that first drink. Don't escalate in anger with them. You think, oh, I can do this. I can stop after one Dorito. I can get close to the fire and not get burned. I have seen people, even this week, express sorrow for their sin. But then they refuse to do what they need to do to avoid it again. And they'll say, it'll be alright, or it won't happen again, or I got it under control, I, I, it's not that serious. And the reality is, they are sorry for the effects of their sin, but they're still wanting to hold on to it. And the problem is, is that even though we regret it, and we feel bad about it, and we weep over it and we mean it it doesn't restore our relationship with God we must repent and turn and do away with and serve him only the final point to Samuel's gospel on this occasion is a promise. It says, if we do these things, he will deliver you out of the hand of the enemy, of the Philistines. And I love the fact that the gospel always ends on a promise. It, it, it gives us direction. It, it's very honest saying, look it, you've got you you to change direction. You've got to do away with these things. And you've got to serve God and only God. Make him Lord of your life. But here's the good news. He will deliver you. You will find that peace. You will find that purpose. You will find that understanding and that relationship that comes only God can give you. I have no doubt, no doubt, that there even are people here today who, like the rest of us, even now would hear from God saying, there's this area in your life I'm talking about. And we, we, God is something, and, and we, we say we would love God, and maybe we even say He is Savior, but we are walking down the aisle towards the mud pies. And He's saying, look, I love you enough. It's got to stop. It's leading you away. It will lead you to destruction. Turn. Do away. Serve me. 
And we need to trust that His way is better. We don't just regret it, what we've done. We don't just confess what we've done. We act on it. I uh, was sharing with the first service, and I want to share with you that our last prayer summit, we bring our journals because we journal, we hear from God. That's a practice we should be doing. God, what would you say to me? And I opened up my journal, and, uh, and it came to the page called March 19th, 2015, so a little over two years ago, two and a half years ago. So I was here. And I wrote in my, and I, forget, I don't remember any of this, but I'm glad I wrote down. I wrote down the names of two people who were coming for counseling. It was for marriage counseling. And I said in this journal that I wanted to find this book called Coffee Cup Counseling that I have because I knew there was something in there that addressed their need. And I knew where, usually at my office, I knew where that book should be. And I'm looking and I can't find it. I'm frustrated. They're almost here. I just really believe there's an answer in that book that will help me restore. God will restore this couple. And then I said this. Obviously, I had committed some sin in my life. I don't remember what it was, but uh, it was was enough that I felt um, frustrated with myself, I say. I feel like I didn't was not worthy. I felt horrible. I wrote this. I wrote, I knew I needed to pray to God for forgiveness about a sin, but I wasn't because I was so frustrated with myself. I don't know if you ever feel that way. Like, God, I don't deserve this. I should know better. I feel horrible about this. And I wrote, finally, I pray, Lord, forgive me. I don't deserve it. I wrote, I'm not worthy, but I need you. And I know there was an act of repentance. And then I don't remember this, but I said, I wrote, help me to find this book, and I'll know that I'm forgiven. Because a lot of times we don't feel like we deserve it or worthy of it. I opened my eyes, and there was the book. I can tell you that that couple worked through and repented of sins. I can tell you that I confessed, regretted, felt bad, but went further and repented. And I wonder what would happen if we didn't. I'm pretty sure that what I shared out of that was helpful for them. But what if I was so stubborn and so frustrated and felt all this regret but was not willing to change that I wouldn't have found that? Or what if they came and said, no, we, and a lot of, that happens many times, we will not make these right decisions. But they did. So this is how I'd like to close. This is how we close the first service. I'm old now, you know that. And I'm old-fashioned. I still like having altar calls. We don't do them enough. It's not as much part of our culture, maybe as it needs to be. But I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to send into the song called Blessed Assurance. I'm going to ask our prayer leaders to come up. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. And this is what people did in the first service. As we're standing, well, they came forward because God has been talking to them. We didn't ask them to confess their sins to those here. You you do that to God. We we believe that you feel regret. We believe that you are sincere and you say, God, I want to change the path. 
But I'm asking you to take steps, physical, little, literal steps, from there to here, and just to pray with those people, saying, I need prayer today. Just like everybody else, God's speaking to me. He loves me enough that he's directed me. I have no doubt that's happening today. No doubt. I just, I'll be honest, I just, I just know it's awkward and comfortable for people to, to say, I will come forward and be prayed for and ask God to restore this relationship with him. Because it means I have to humble myself. I have to surrender myself. I have to take steps, not just emotionally, but even physically today, to say, if I can do that here, God, help me to do that out there. And a number of people came this morning. But would you come before God and say, Lord, I'm hearing you. I want to be obedient to you. So let's stand together. I just want to pray. Lord, I want to pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to minister in our lives today. You are so good. You love us so much that you're so honest with us. And already you're pointing out things, Lord, that you know that are leading us to destruction away from you relationally. And maybe they become so familiar, but that's not, that's not the problem. It's we're lost because we don't have um, that saving relationship with you. We don't have that, that all, that everything. And, Lord, we know already that we need to turn away some from things. We know, Lord, that we need to turn back to you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open doorway for you to enter into our community. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. Please remember to visit hereonchapel.com for more information about our church.